Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has part two of the series Close Encounters with a message titled, There Are No Finish Lines. I started prepping for this message four weeks ago. Um, Just started thinking about like, okay, God, what is it that you want to say to Forest City Church this weekend? And it was interesting because I got this passage stuck in my mind. I don't know if you ever get something like this happens to you where you just get like a one-track mind, whatever that is. Now, it may not be scripture, might be a book, might be a project. You can't get it out of your head, right? You just got to do it. You got to do it. And this has been this passage. Here's the problem. There is no chance I can do a 30-minute talk on this passage. There just isn't. There's, There's not anything there. I just couldn't get it out of my brain. This one interaction that Jesus has, there's nothing significant about it. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. Down to the point where I was telling Chrissy this last week, I'm like, this message is going to be awful. These people are in for a really long few minutes. And as God does in the the 11th hour, it all made sense. In one moment, on one street, turning a street corner, last Wednesday. So you may not know this about me, um, but I'm a father of three. um, And this weekend is basically my one-year anniversary coming back home. So, close call. I was waiting for some booze. (laughs) For some booze. so I have three children. My, my oldest is Daly, and Daly spoke. She's out in California. She spoke at Mother's Day. And then our youngest is Harrison. Harry, he's going into the eighth grade. Um, our second child, his name is Graham. We call him Gray or Bud. Like, you know, we're, we're nickname family, right? Well, this last week, we went to the University of Kansas because, and this is a picture of my son, He was accepted to KU on a business scholarship. He's joining. He's going to be an accountant. Yay! Um, And so we were with him this last week at school as he visited the campus. And this is where he's going to live. And uh, this is him across from the house he's going to live in. And then the next picture just shows what a good photographer I am. So... We were with Graham, and what you may not also know is that I went to the University of Kansas, and I have an accounting degree, um, and that's the house that I lived in. Um, My son's going back there, right? So we went and did all the things that you do with your children at college, and we were doing orientation and all of the courses that he had to select, and that afternoon, it was Wednesday this last week, we went to the hotel, and um, Chrissy and, and Graham, they're like, we're going to go out to dinner. We have a few hours. And I'm like, I got to go work on this message. I need to. So I took my Bible and my iPad, and I began to walk down Mass Avenue. Now, remember, I haven't been to the University of Kansas in a long time, right? 20 plus years ago. So a lot of the, the surroundings are somewhat familiar. You know, like you kind of recognize them, but not always. And so I headed out. I was walking down Mass Avenue. I was going to go find a coffee shop just to sit down and think, like, God, what is it that you're trying to say? I don't know what I'm going to do. 
And I turned the corner and I ran into this building. Now on the surface, it's a pretty crummy building. But it was like in a moment, I was transported back in time 20 plus years ago. I got chills. They ran down my spine. Like even right now, I get them because this is the bourgeois pig. Now, I spent many an evening in the bourgeois pig. But probably the most significant night, the night before the most significant day, was spent here. It was a Tuesday. It was in December of 1994. I was a senior in college, and every plan that I had made for my life seemed to be falling apart. And when you're 22 years old, right, sometimes you can be somewhat dramatic. But I can tell you that I sat in that building 20-some years ago, and I looked at my life, and honestly, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I had no idea what was going on with my life. There was no more girlfriend. The school that I thought I was going to get into, I didn't get into. And I literally am like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And last Wednesday, I walked into the Bourgeois Pig. It's been 20 plus years. And wouldn't you know it, the spot I sat in that night was open. So I took my Bible and my iPad and I went over to the spot and sat down. I ordered a coffee that isn't what I used to drink there. I opened up my Bible and it all made sense. Everything made sense. All of it. Why this passage was stuck in my brain made sense. The passage is this. It's John chapter 1. It's the simplest, quickest interaction. And on the surface, it seems so insignificant, but this is what happens. It says the next day Jesus was going to Galilee because what he was doing is he was gathering his disciples. He was pulling a bunch of kids, 20-year-old kids, because that's what the disciples were. They were a bunch of kids. He was pulling them together. So he found Philip, and he said, Philip, why don't you follow me? So Philip, he's from Bethsaida. This is where... Andrew and Peter were from. This is how it works, right? If one guy goes, more guys go, right? You kind of hang in packs. So Philip went with Jesus. He was going to be a disciple. And Philip then went out and found one of his buddies, a kid named Nathaniel. Now, this is what I know about Nathaniel. It's very little because the Bible doesn't hardly tell us anything about him. We do know this. We know that he was from Galilee. We know that he was a friend of Philip. That's about what we know. But I could see in this one kid a bunch of me. Now, this is what I do know about Philip. He grew up in a time where absolutely there was political rancor all around him, right? This is what we could know about this kid. That at the time that he was born, which was the time a little bit before Jesus or a little bit after Jesus was born, there was upheaval and there was social discontent. When Jesus was born, Herod the Great was the king and he ruled Judea. He was put in place by Rome. 
He was known as the client king. And what would typically happen in those days is Rome was pulling 50, 60% taxes off of the Jews, off of everybody that they ruled. But, but this is it. The 50 to 60% of whatever you had, whatever this kid had, his family had, wasn't to go to build nicer roads or to build them schools. This was to prop up a king that lived far away. This was his reality every single year. And so it's in that backdrop that what Nathaniel says to Philip makes total sense to me. This is a kid that has never seen anything positive. He's not, there is no American dream. It's not like he's going to get ahead. He knows where his life started. He can imagine at 21 how his life will end. And so when Philip comes and says, hey, we found him. This is what Philip says to him. We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. In other words, he's going, listen, bro, you got, you got to go check this guy out. We found the guy who can change everything for us. Like everything. Remember, we've been talking about how life could be better. We found this guy. Listen to Nathaniel's response. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? This is his reality. He says to Philip, get real, man. Can anything good come of our story? Be be serious for a minute. Can anything good come from my life? See, he knows. He's like, what's the point? What's the point? I've done my best. I've done everything we're supposed to do. We as a people have done everything God's asked us to do. We do it day in and day out. And what have we known, Philip? We've only known oppression. Like from the very beginning, bro. We were supposed to be some prosperous nation. We've only known oppression from the Assyrians, from Babylon. Pick a country who hasn't come and owned us. There is no kingdom. There is no king. There is no dream. What good can come of this? Like, what good? This is what this kid knew. This is all this kid knew. And you hear it. You hear it in the response. Like, what good can come from this? I wonder, I wonder, have you ever been in a spot in your life when that's how it felt for you? where you look at whatever it is that you have in your hand and you go, what good can come from this? Like, it's great that you say all these pleasantries. It's great that you go to church. It's really nice, but you tell me, well, what good gonna come of this? Because this, this is a hot mess. I wandered into that brick building 20 plus years ago, and that's exactly how I felt. I was lost, lost kid. I was raised in a great family. I was raised knowing about Jesus. But as I went on my way through life, I walked into that building absolutely lost. I felt like Nathaniel. I don't know where my life's going. It's not going anywhere positive. Look at what you do. Look at what you did last night. 
this Tuesday morning, the way you feel today, you've been doing this for a long time. You, you, like literally, your grades are awful. You can't get into a school. They don't want you here. Your friendships are crumbling. Like, what are you going to do with your life, Eric? I sat in that booth and I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. I don't know. Can anything good, anything good come of this? My guess is like you've had those moments where you're like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. How am I gonna do this? And this was Nathaniel, right? He's like, I don't know. Anything good can come of this? What's gonna come of this? You know, it's interesting because God does this. He puts right people in right places so often. Andy Stanley talks about pivotal circumstances and providential relationships. Isn't it so true that in all of our lives, they're typically at turning points. It's something that happened and someone who was there. Isn't that almost always true? It's very rare been in my life where a pivot point came just out of the blue by myself. It normally has somebody is like in that with me. And, and it was true with Nathaniel. And I love this moment. I love Nathaniel sort of, we don't know what he says in between, like, can anything good come of this and what Philip says back to him. But my guess is, knowing like, you know, 20-year-olds, there's a lot of conversation. The Bible just went, yeah, I'm just not going to put that in there. But here's this kid, he's like, what good can come of my life? And here's what Philip does. Philip just says this. Well, come and see. I don't know. I'm going to go. Do you want to go? Right? God does this all the time. Tuesday night, I'm in the Bourgeois Pig in 1994. Wednesday, I went to Kansas City. And I got on an airplane. And I flew home. Because it was Christmas break. Lost, heartbroken, everything feeling like can anything good come of this? My mom and my dad picked me up at Midway. I'm sure it was Midway. Um, you know, I'm just positive it was mid- Midway. Picked me up at Midway. My sister was in the car. I have a three. Uh, I have two sisters. Um, my uh, middle sister Shara is three years younger than me, and they picked me up. And this was a Wednesday, and the whole time in the car, my sister is wanting to chat me up, and I'm not feeling like chatting, chatting and talking, right? Not, you know, brothers and sisters, they just have their thing, and, you know, talking about life just wasn't our stuff. And I'm like, I don't really want to talk. And she's like, well, what do you think you're going to do tonight? What are you doing tonight? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I've never been to Rockford. I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. I don't know anyone. She was, well, I've been going to this church. You want to go with me? I was like, Yeah, I can tell you a million things that I don't want to do. Right at the top of the list is go to church with you, right? I don't have any desire to go with you to a Wednesday night church service. He's like, no, Eric, you got to check this out. This church is so good. You just need to come and see. I don't know why, probably because I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. My parents had just moved to Rockford. My father had taken a job in Rockford. I didn't know Rockford from Adam. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anything else to do. So my sister says, well, why don't you come and see? I'm like, fine. What do I have to do? So that night, I got in the car. I drove to a youth group. It's actually just down the street from here. City First. Used to have this youth group years ago. I walked in and I'm like, wow, there's a bunch of people, a bunch of kids in here. It's pretty neat. Sat in a row 
with my sister and a bunch of her friends. And I want to say something to the Phillips in the room for a second. You know, here's, here's what's interesting. You look at Nathaniel, you look at Philip, every one of us will play both of these roles in our journey when it comes to Jesus, right? Sometimes you're gonna be Nathaniel, where you need somebody to come with you, walk alongside you, but every now and again, the roles reverse and you become the Philip. You're the one who's asking. So let me just say, don't stop asking. Don't stop asking. I know you've asked people a million times, you should come to church. You should come check it out. You should come. Why don't you come with me? You wanna come? And you've got, no, I don't think so, no. Don't stop asking, because there's gonna come a point where you say, come and see, and the response isn't going to be, I don't know, they run around too much. I don't like that. I don't know. They changed the name. I can't deal with it. I won't go. It isn't happening, right? Or they don't run around enough. He doesn't talk loud enough. Whatever the deal is, right? One time you're going to make the ask. You're going to be the Philip. And for whatever reason, it's going to click like with Nathaniel. And that person is going to be like, okay, I'll go. Don't stop asking this is why we do church every single week. I know some of you are like, why do we do this? Why do we gather every week? You've heard me say this before. Because there are moments when you're going to make an ask and somebody's going to come and they're going to borrow some faith that all of us have because they don't have enough faith for themselves. They are looking at their life going, what good can come from this? And they're going to borrow just enough to come and take a step towards what Jesus might be able to do in their life. This matters. This is why we do it every single week. And we need you to be a Philip. Don't give up. Don't give up yet. And I showed up at church. My sister said, come. And Nathaniel, he showed up with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus saw that Nathaniel was coming toward them. And he said, I love this. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. In other words, Jesus saying, this dude will always tell the truth. You got any people like that in your life? Sometimes you wish they would lie to you. You have any of those where like they always speak the truth? Oh my gosh, please, could you just not? This was Nathaniel. In other words, he just always said it the way that it was. So he's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth. (laughs) Come on, Philip. Jesus sees it from a long way off. And then the Bible tells us that something happens. When you read it, it makes no sense, really. Jesus just says, I saw you under a fig tree. But isn't this how it works? Theologians will say, we don't know exactly what was happening, but whatever was happening here, it broke Nathaniel's heart. Like, haven't you ever been in a church service where somebody up here said something and it was like a light went down on you and you're like, is he talking to me? Is he talking to me? How does he, how does he know me? Wait a minute, what's happening? Like, and it doesn't even make sense. You try to explain it to your spouse or your friend and and you're explaining it and you're really excited and then you realize the words that you're saying isn't clicking. They're just looking at you like you're crazy. You're like, I know, God just did something to me. This happens to Nathaniel. Jesus says a word to him and Nathaniel goes, oh, whoa. He says, how did you, how'd you know me? And then he says, oh, you you must be real. Guys, the truth is, I love apologetics and proving the faith, but 
10 times out of 10, how people come to faith in Jesus is he says something to my heart that maybe only I understand. Like he speaks my language. This, what, this is what makes Jesus so amazing. Like he knows you so well that he takes this moment that only you would know this thing that's only important to you. And it like cracks your chest open. And for me, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew about Jesus. I know the story. I could probably, at that age, preach a salvation message even though I hadn't been in church in five years. But for whatever reason, that night, my sister drug me into the church. I sat on a row, and I still remember everything about that night. Now listen, this is a miracle in and of itself because I can't tell you what I did two weeks ago. I have no idea. I forget everything. But I know that the pastor was Kurt Hughes. I know exactly where I sat in that room, about eight rows back. If I'm looking at the stage, I'm on the right-hand side. I remember the pews were blue. Who does that? Don't know. I remember everything. And as he began to speak about Jesus, it was like the first time I had ever heard it. I'd heard it a million times. I don't know why that night he cracked open my chest, but I remember Kurt was going through Philippians and he began to talk about this guy that I thought I knew but didn't really had taken on the very nature of God, but he didn't consider it equality with God to be used in his own advantage. Like when he said it, he go, I go, oh, oh, you mean like Jesus was the most selfless person on the planet? Oh, I, I know the most selfish person, me. Like in my head, I'm like, oh, I'm, my whole life's about me. I don't think about anybody else. It's all about me. And this is the most important person that ever walked in any room, any room ever, and he never made it about him. Like that thought hit my head, hit my heart. I went, oh. And then I remember he talked about he made himself nothing. One scripture said he literally emptied himself. And I know what it's like to be full of yourself because I'm like, oh, that's me. I am full of myself. Nobody had to tell me. It's funny when we're with ourselves You don't need anybody to tell you what's wrong with you. You know. I'm like, I'm full of myself. And here's this man who was perfect. And then it all clicked. I went, oh, wait. So he humbled himself. Nobody did it to him. He submitted. He humbled himself. He submitted to me. Because he went to death on the cross. This is what the Bible tells us. He was obedient to death on the cross. And it was like a light bulb went on. It was like a Nathaniel moment where I went, oh, for for me. Like that kid who the day before was sitting at the bourgeois pig, lost, 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 guys. It all clicked. And I remember that night sitting in that seat, in 1994, and it was like, you didn't have to tell me the reality of Ephesians 1.11, that it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. It all clicked. I went, oh, you, you are God. Oh, you, you do have something for me. 
Like, you have a purpose for me. And you know, I think I love the story of Nathaniel because here's this kid who has just this little sliver written in all the words and all the verses that are put in Scripture, this little tiny passage. But this is what we know. He's called Nathaniel and John, but Bartholomew is what he's referred to in the rest of Scripture. He becomes one of the 12 disciples. And we don't know what he did other than when it came time to stand up for what he believed to be true. This kid who once said, can anything good come from this? He was willing to give it all, his life for this thing. He said, I saw it. I didn't believe it was real. I thought this thing was garbage, that my life had no purpose, no direction. But this guy, he gave me something, and he can have all of it. He was a martyr for the faith. Can anything good come of this? The most common refrain. When we have lost hope. The most common refrain of the hopeless is, what good can come of this, Eric? You know, I think, it doesn't take much time on this planet to realize that God is constantly interrupting the plans that we have for our life. It's, it messes with us. Like, when you have a plan to be a doctor, when you have a plan to be an accountant, when you have a plan to get married, when you have a plan to have children, it feels like when those things get messed with, the whole world gets shaky, doesn't it? Like, when you have these ideas of what life's going to look like, and then God starts to interrupt it messes with us. But listen, if you're being messed with in this moment of your life, you're in real good company. In fact, I'd say like you're at one of the perfect spots in your whole life. Now think about it. There isn't a single story in Scripture where it starts with, well, somebody had a really great plan. Right? Imagine Noah. The night before the flood comes, he's looking at this boat that he built and everybody's like bailed on him and he's going, what good can come of this? I built a boat. In his mind, I'm sure he's going, I'm a human. I built a giant boat. I really hope it rains. I mean, think about Moses. He's got a stick. He's got a stick. He's been a, out in a shepherd for 40 years. And I got to believe the night before he's about to walk in and confront Pharaoh, he's going, what good can come of this? God, what good can come of this? Because I think I'm going to end up dead tomorrow. You know, Esther, she's just an orphan. She's found a life. She's redeemed it. Now God asks her to go rescue her people. And the night before she goes to the king, I can guarantee you, she's like, what good is going to come of this? Come on. Mary and Joseph, you think they weren't looking at each other going, um, what good can come of this? This is the story of our faith. People like you and me that stand on the precipice of life and yet question, could this next step really bring a change? Could my life really be different? Because I'm looking at everything and what good can come of this? I was, I was running because, as you know, I'm going to run this marathon um, in October. Um, what good can come of that? So I'm running, and I'm just, like, I run with this Nike Run Club app. And sometimes I'm so funny because, like, I think the coach is really talking to me. 
like that he has a word for me. Like I'll be running and the coach is talking. He's like, now smile and I'll smile while I'm running. I'm like, he's talking to me. And the other day I was running and I was struggling through running. Like this isn't my thing and I'm sweating and I'm, I feel awful. Truthfully, I'd eaten a cinnamon roll before my run, so don't feel too bad for me. But I was struggling and I'm running and this guy starts talking to me. And he's like, Eric, you focus too much on finish lines. I'm like, what do you mean? You see, he was really saying, he didn't say my name, but he's like, you focus on finish lines. We all do. It's like we have these plans, these things we want to accomplish. And he's like, and the reality is when we don't accomplish them and things don't go the way we do, we just stop. We just stop and we're like, what good can come of this? What good? I can't do this. What good can come of this, right? He said, but you got up this morning and you ran. Yeah. I, I was like, and I was running. I'm like, I did run. He goes, we don't celebrate finish lines. We celebrate starting lines. Because starting lines mean you put your foot on the line and you started. And so what if you quit? Tomorrow, another starting line's going to come. And you can get up and go again. And so what? If you've done this a million times, and some of you are like, yeah, but Eric, what good can come of this? I've done this a million times. I've already done this. I've already done what you're telling me to do. I've already been here. I've already done this. I've already messed it up. Me too. I'm always getting to a starting line of being a better parent. I'm not good enough at it. Being a better husband, I'm just not good enough at it. Being a better pastor, I'm just not that good at it. But I get up and I put my foot on the starting line and I'm learning how to forget all those finish lines, all this stuff that I get preoccupied with. Because ultimately, isn't it true that in all of this, the finish line has already been won? Like, stay in the book of John and just go forward a few chapters. This was true for Nathaniel. It's true for me and true for you when Jesus hung on the cross. The Bible says that he asked for some drink and they give him some spoiled wine. And after he took in that wine, he said, It's finished. This wasn't a metaphor, it was done. The redemptive work was done. The work was done. It was done for Nathaniel, all 12 of the apostles, for all that would come, for all of you. It was finished. And for what you've been preoccupied with, the question is, will you just step back to the starting line? And I know the question is for you, but what good will come of this? I wish I could draw it out for you and tell you exactly, but this is what I do know is if you don't put your foot back on the starting line and take the next step, you'll never know. You won't. I was 21. I flew home. I didn't wait for an altar call because I thought that was stupid. I just put my head between my knees. I went, okay, God, I'm going to try. I'll try. I'll try. I'll try to follow you. It has been a long journey, ups and downs, tons of mistakes, things I regret, lots of new starting lines for me. But I can tell you that the greatest decision that I've ever made in my life was that one. I took a step, and then another, and then another. And I could not have dreamt that 20-some years ago I'd wander back into the bourgeois pig 
a changed man on a mission to change Rockford and Chicago and as much as he'll let me change. And the reason why this story stuck with me is I got it in that moment. I went, oh, I'm Nathaniel. I don't know what the world will write about me. I don't know what they'll write about you. But I know this. I know what I'm going to build my life on. And the invitation in this encounter, I think I love that Nathaniel is a nobody. That's me too. I don't write books. I don't have that much to say. I can't sing. But I love Jesus, and he's given me a new life, and this is what I'm going to ask in this moment. If you've asked yourself a million times, what good can come of this? All I know is that what I know is what Nathaniel knows, is that new life can come of this. A new hope can come of this. A future you couldn't have dreamt of, it can come of this. But you will have to come and taste and see. Will you come and taste and see? You've been listening to Eric Parks, lead pastor of Four City Church, with part two of the Close Encounter series. You can watch the online version of this message by going to youtube.com slash Church. Thanks for listening. 